like Salesforce, there are businesses that are doing the right thing. Aloha! No, no. Aloha! Salesforce has transformed the way businesses do business. The reality is nothing is more important to me than the success of our customers. One of the most admired companies in the world. That is why we're here as Trailblazers, because we are here to make the world better. The doors are open here for everybody. We just need to go through them. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ohana. This episode features an interview with Bala Balabaskaran, a seasoned technology entrepreneur and architect, and the current CTO and founder of Fullcast. In this episode, Bala shares the knowledge he gained about operation and scalability during his time at Salesforce and how it continues to shape his career today. He delves into his experiences of developing automation solutions that facilitated Salesforce expansion in the 2010s, a period when the company was onboarding 700 new representatives annually. And he also shares invaluable insights he acquired while working on strategies for growth that hold relevance not only for large-scale organizations, but also for small sales teams too. Stay tuned for an enlightening discussion ahead. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Inside the Ohana is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. Intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding signals of buying intent and having real-time conversations. Learn more over on qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Bala Bala Baskarin, CTO and founder of Fullcast, and your host, Dan Darcy. Welcome to Inside the Ohana. I'm Dan Darcy, Chief Customer Officer at Qualified, and today I'm joined by Bala. Bala, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you? So I want to dive right into our first segment, Ohana Origins. Origin story begin. This is my origin story. This is an origin story. How did you discover Salesforce and what started your journey? Salesforce for me was all Maria Martinez. I mean, she was the one that talked to me about Salesforce. I had worked for her at Microsoft and I left Microsoft to go do a startup. And Maria actually was in town as it was wrapping up that startup, opening up the Seattle office for for Salesforce. And she said, I want you to talk to a few people because I have this problem. I'd like you to help. And so that's kind of how I got introduced to Salesforce. You know, I was in the Microsoft bubble and (laughs) yeah, Maria was the, the the person that kind of pulled me in. Oh, that's great. And now Maria Martinez, just for the, the listeners and viewers, are, she's the COO, COO, COO at, Cisco, yeah. at Cisco now, yeah. which is she's had an incredible journey. She was the, you know, basically head of customer success at Salesforce for a very long time. But give me the details. You know, what what was your job? You know, what was your title? What was your first initial impression? When Maria called me, she said, hey, look, I've got a team of people that are trying to figure out processes around Org 62. I said, what is Org 62? That got me interested. And, and, you know, and then as I as I got talking to people, just understood this this behemoth of, of an internal instance that we had that was, you know, a of showcase Salesforce. Of, yeah. of Salesforce. Yeah. 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 And it was a it was a great showcase for everything that the platform can do. But it's also a great showcase for how people can get things wrong on it and, you know, and, and from a scale standpoint, struggle with how to sort of move the organization forward. So she had known me at Microsoft coming in from the product side. So I've never worked in an operational role. And uh, her point to me 
was, I want you to take a look at this from a product perspective. Like, how would you use automation to solve this problem? And that was kind of how, what got me interested in it. The scale of the issue seemed like it was the right time for Salesforce as it was, you know, we were scaling like crazy around the 2012 timeframe when I joined. And so it, it was a really interesting problem for me to dig my hands into. It was a quite meaty one. So that's how I got started. And then we actually had a team called Go-To-Market Scale. That mm-hmm. was the, the name of the team that Maria had created. So I took over that team working with IT to sort of look at all the pre-sales, sales and post-sale processes on top of our internal instance and just kind of scaling it. And after about six months of that, we figured it was too big for one person to handle. So we kind of split the sales and the post-sales. Uh, so I took on more of the, the sales side of the house okay. and uh, inherited the annual planning cycle, which we used to call Fast Start or Cool for Growth. And that was working with over 400 people across the company to build out territory models, the compensation models and and so on for the sales team. And then also all of the product owners that worked on processes on old 62, the internal instance of Salesforce and the operational side of it. So the field operation side. So, you know, regular day-to-day management of territories and accounts and data quality and yeah. all of that fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, so go for growth is, is definitely a behemoth project. And I mean, you know, if you think about our calendar, Salesforce's fiscal year start date is Feb 1. That's when everyone needs to hit the ground running for the new fiscal year. Go for growth planning starts when? July, so, August. July, August. August. Yeah, yeah. Because part of the process was actually updating data, cleaning up data and doing all of that stuff. So we used to go through these massive data projects for a month and a half or so. Now, then you start building out, you know, what the growth plans are, building out territories, capacity models, how many people are we going to hire? What roles are we going to build? So all of that process took us a good six to eight months to kind of get in place. Yeah. And then we would February 1st, you know, for school, we would deploy it after the start of the fiscal year and things would sort of settle down around March, April. So we got a couple of... <laughs> and then you a, took a vacation? For a couple basically. of months, yeah. We're back at it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ball, I want you to brag a little because I know you've had incredible success during your time at Salesforce. But what would you say is one of the biggest successes you've had while working at Salesforce or something that you're just really proud of? So I think the, my time at uh, Salesforce, I really focused on kind of turning this, what was a very heavy manpower spreadsheet kind of a, a problem into a lot of automation. So we had great support from our IT organization, Russ Meyercord and, and his team to really look at the problem and, and build out automation that would sort of help us deliver territories and quota plans and things like that before school. Believe it or not, up until that point, they, they hadn't delivered territories or quota letters by scope. Right? So when, yeah. you know, the year kicked off, it, there was still some time before the, the reps understood what they were selling and so on. So the automation took us about a couple of years to build and put in place. And I'm um, happy to say that when I exited that role, that was the first time in like 17, 18 year history of the company that we had actually delivered territory by scope. <laughs> so that was quite a big uplift in terms of automation. But we learned a lot. You know, we learned a lot about how we can do this at scale. Salesforce was growing, at, you know, I think about 600 or 700 new reps every year in, in all parts of the business. And we were acquiring companies that exact target was an acquisition around that time. So we were just adding to the team and continuing to do that with people is just not possible. And and so automation was the way out. And that's really kind of, you know, I drove a lot of that project with Ross and the rest of the team to sort of build that out for for Salesforce. 
internally. That, I mean, that's incredible. So on the opposite side of the spectrum, what would you say was your biggest lesson learned? I think the the inherent complexity and the tribal knowledge was something that I didn't expect, right? So you go in and when you approach the problem as an automation problem, you kind of miss out on so much of the tribal knowledge that's built into Org 62. And it almost felt like every little thing you touch impacted some team somewhere. And so that, that I think was one of the biggest learnings for me approaching a problem like that. You know, I was a product guy before that. So for us, we didn't have to look at how the system was implemented. We just built new features and that was, you know, perfectly the way we approached it. But with, with this sort of environment where you have all of the businesses and processes running on top of it, it was always interesting and learning experience for me to sort of understand all of those relationships, all of the unsaid, undocumented kind of things that happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually curious on that, you know, with the tribal knowledge, how do you take tribal knowledge and code it into software? How did you think about that? I'll tell you an example of something that we, we needed to do before we started the automation, right? So we we would think about sales policies. We were about a 4,500 salesperson organization at that time, yeah. but we didn't have sales policies written down, right? And there was no policy organization that looked to standardize how things were written down and so on. So a lot of it was assumptions that the ops teams were the creators the arbitrators and the executors of policy. And it was none of it was written. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that we had to do was actually say, okay, let's get people in the room and actually start writing down some of the critical policies that we're looking at automation. Yeah. Because without that, it's it's impossible to scale it, right? And because everybody came in with their own assumptions. And as you know, sales and especially in field ops, every interaction is emotionally charged because, you know, this is how the sales team makes money. So, you know, there's 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 a win and there's a loser and, yeah. and we have to arbitrate that and, and doing that without written down policies and thought process into it was a, was a, was a problem. And so that's one of the first things we solved is let's write it down, let's publish it so that everybody knows here are the rules of the road. Yeah. In a sense. That's, wow, right. that's, pretty, yeah. that's pretty crazy. That's awesome. Now, if you could go back to Bala just starting out at Salesforce, what advice would you give yourself? I think, you know, one of the things that I learned to do through my tenure is actually take things a little bit slower than I, I, I actually intended to do. I was like, you know, I want things to move fast and Salesforce was a startup culture. So why aren't people making decisions and getting things moving? You know, that was kind of the way I approached it, not realizing that the organization is actually pretty large and huge behind this this sort of facade of a, of a startup. There was so many things that was going on, which is, you know, big, huge credit to to Salesforce to be able to behave in that way. But it also meant that you could you couldn't, you know, just make changes on the fly and move things quicker. So that that was a big learning for me to just slow down and, and really understand the organization first before getting into into the job itself. So I asked this question of all my guests because everyone answers it a little bit differently. But I want to ask you, what is the meaning of Ohana to you? What does that mean for you? For the longest time, I didn't know what it meant, you know, the word Ohana, but but the feeling I can describe, right? And, yeah. and the feeling for me is the incredible relationships that you build working in a company like Salesforce. That I haven't worked in a place that was as conscientious about how people treated each other. You know, I came from unnamed previous large companies that yeah, there yeah. were was just cutthroat kind of, you know, everybody was waiting to stab you behind your back kind of yeah. culture, that competitive 
culture and, yeah. and so on. And that was not the case at Salesforce. It was very, very comfortable to be in. You know, people cared about each other. People cared about your know, personal situations that you were going through and there to support each other. So I had an incredible team that where, you know, I had some personal issues going on with my family when I was at Salesforce and health issues as well. And the first people that I would turn to are my teammates and they would say, no problem, we've got you. Well, I, I wouldn't even think about doing that somewhere else, you know? Yeah. But that was the comfort that I think Salesforce had built as a culture. And Mark, you know, is generally a quite warm guy and it sort of flows down from him, I think. Yeah. As you, as you work in the organization, you understand that a lot more. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, to your point around the competitiveness, I would say we were competitive in beating the other competitors in That's our right. market. And so not that was internally, the, but yeah. not internally is yeah. you're hundred percent right. It was all collaborative around achieving a goal. Everyone was focused. And I mean, your point around um, really caring about each other was so spot on. I mean, that to that point, you know, even when we were talking in the earlier things and how we've been, you know, our, our time at Salesforce together, you were there from 2012 to 2016 plus. I, you know, obviously was there at the same time, but I feel like I know you, even though we didn't really interact that much. Right. That's right. And, yeah. and it feels like that we're still on the same team in that regard. So. And now, even, I, you know, folks like Brian, it was so, I was so comfortable to just ask Brian for a meeting and I say, hey, Brian, I've got this problem. Can you give me your advice on this? And he was very open, you know, and, yeah. and just having that level of accessibility to uh, folks like Brian Millam, that was. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I was going to say. Brian Millam, the now COO at, at right. Salesforce, who has taken on a lot more responsibility. But yeah. You're right. And and he would he would open up and, you know, had an open door policy. And I felt like that was that permeated everywhere, which That's was right. yeah. pretty incredible. So yeah. now speaking of that, are there any special, you know, Ohana moments that are a little behind the scenes that you'd like to share? I think for me, you know, I've, I've brought on a bunch of folks at Salesforce when I was there and the people that were there, I learned a lot from them. And, you know, I was coming into this from a product guy coming into an operational world and, and everything I, I sort of understood and learned are from the, from the people there. And to me, the, the biggest success of that is where all of those folks have gone on to have, you know, really rich careers at, at Salesforce and also in the, in the startup ecosystem. And you know, I talk to them all the time and those relationships still remain. And so for me, I think the, at that point, you didn't really, you know, there's not a moment like that, but it's, it's sort of a continuous, you know, realization of, the, of the relationships that we built at Salesforce, right? For me, yeah. even today, somebody yeah. called me and said, Hey, I'm finishing up 10 years at Salesforce. Thank you for hiring me. And I, That's you great. know, and, and, and that to yeah. me is not just one moment. It's like, it's sort of continuous. It's still happening. That's the, yeah. that's the incredible part about it. I love that. How many dream forces have you been to? I did four dream forces. Yeah. Now, yeah. are there any special, you know, dream force stories? What, like what was your first dream force and like your impression there? So honestly, I was a events guy as a product person in my previous roles and previous mm -hmm. companies. So I was averse to going to events. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> so I approached it that way the first time I went. Yeah. But it's not an event. It's sort of a cultural event, right? It's yeah. not like a like a broadcast event from a product company. An experience, company. if you will. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And so that was the big light bulb moment for me. It's like, wait a minute, this is not like other tech company events that you go to where they're just broadcasting you what they're building. This is more about connecting and so on. So I enjoyed the four that I attended. A lot of it was actually customers asking us in my, my, my role, 
about how we solved the problems that I was responsible for. And they were very interested to see how we scaled it. Like, how did you apply Salesforce technology to that problem? Yeah. So that was very exciting for me, kind of learning about customers that are going through the same kind of challenges that we are and be able to share what we do. I think th- those were those were really exciting moments for me. That's great. Let's get into our next segment, What's Cooking? So buddy, what's cooking? Let's both cook together. So Bala, you're now obviously the co-founder and CTO at Fullcast. Talk about how you got to where you are now and what your journey's been like. Yeah, so a lot of the learnings that we've incorporated into Fullcast, both me and my co-founder, Dharmesh Singh, we've worked together at Microsoft, at Salesforce, and now at Fullcast. So we've been working together and, and we've been eating around this sort of operational problem set. Me from the product side, him from an operational standpoint at the beginning, and then our roles kind of flipped. But but really kind of the, the idea of a revenue operations problem space, right? And what we mean by that is, is how do you put together a go-to-market plan and how do you execute it? And how do you keep these two worlds kind of tied to each other and communicating with each other? Because one of the one of the big shifts that we've seen in the industry, of course, is the the SaaS business model has essentially changed what used to be sales, where you made a deal and you're done, collected yeah. your commission and you moved on. Now the the idea of a sale is the right to make money, right? Yeah. And so now you have to make sure that your marketing team, your customer success team, and and the entire sort of revenue pipeline is able to work in a in a common strategy and actually deliver on the on the revenue goals that you have. And that's really created a need for a revenue platform. And that's really the problem space that we we're addressing. And so a lot of it really comes from learning in the trenches at Salesforce, you know, from all the way from G2G and our global growth and our fast start planning processes. What does it take to get 400 people involved in a planning process? What does it take to deal with bad data? What does it take to deal with sort of effective data commissioning and who gets the right credit at the end of the day? Your coverage models, roles, overlays, like all of that, that kind of problem is really what Fullcast is about. And that's what we, you know, support our customers with today. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I love hearing that story around the, the the rise of a revenue platform and operations. I mean, you know, clearly that's qualified. That's what we think about all day. And, you know, I work with a lot of marketers and and with the silos, you get into like, oh, well, this is a marketing qualified lead and this is a sales qualified lead. And right. and and really, at the end of the day, what we're trying to what what any company's trying to do is just trying to, you know, help solve a problem, bring revenue in the door. So yeah, this revenue layer is really an interesting, you know, concept that has evolved. And I love seeing that. And I it's great to hear, you know, companies such as Fullcast really coming through and helping right. solve those problems. Cause it does it does, you know, go across everything from you to your point, the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel and then to the success funnel, if you will, right. you know, that continues on because obviously, you know, in my, in my role as the the head of customer success, it's, you know, revenue is still extremely important and keeping that right. base yeah. in place is really important. So that's right. Yeah. But you know, what, what challenges are you seeing now and, and how are you applying what you've learned at Salesforce to those challenges? The biggest learning for me was when we were looking at the problem at Salesforce, right? It was, it was heavily handled with what I call spreadsheets at elbow grease, right? You yep. got a bunch of analysts together, you gave them a bunch of spreadsheets and said, go to town. And they would, you know, crank out numbers 
the spreadsheets would fail, but you know, they'll, they'll break it apart into small chunks and email it to like 400 people, get it all back, put it all together. This yeah. was kind of the model that was used to handle it. And clearly, you know, there's a better way to do it. And, and, yeah. but, but people weren't really sure whether you could automate it, right? There was so much variability in the ways that you carve territories. There's so much variability in the ways that you sort of built comp plans and so on. The question was, you know, could you build a platform to do that? Could you do that in a way that the platform can actually support that variability? And the learning for me at Salesforce was, yes, it, it can be done. And we did it at Salesforce and we scaled yeah. all of those processes. And that was kind of the premise of taking that and and then enhancing that with what we're doing at, at Podcast. The problems are the same, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you're a five-person sales organization or we're a 5,000-person sales organization, it's just at some point it becomes painful enough that you need automation to kind of, you know, you can't just keep throwing bodies at it. So that yeah. was for me, I think the, the biggest learning and the proving point that you can apply automation, you can apply AI, you can apply technology mm -hmm. to kind of address that, that space and, and give teams the agility, right? I mean, that's really what we're after is market changes are continuous. Yeah. Yeah. Auto markets are volatile, right? No longer is it that you build a plan and you roll it out for the whole year and you don't make any changes that that world is gone. Now you're continually tweaking and changing and adapting to the market. And as you do that, you have to be able to deploy that and get that working in your transactional environments. And and that problem was was where things were getting stuck. And that was what my team used to do at Salesforce. So really kind of automating that is, is the premise that, we, and that I've taken from what we did at Salesforce to, to what we're doing here. So what's next for you full full cast? And like, how are you thinking about shaping the future? So we're definitely in the Salesforce ecosystem. You know, a yeah. lot of the things that we interact with, a lot of our data, et cetera, comes from Salesforce. And I think the one of the interesting arcs that we're seeing now is with generative AI. And uh, what would what that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you saw all the announcements that Salesforce did of with course. generative AI. But for us, from a planning and an operations perspective, well, what does that mean, right? Could we provide the sales managers and the ops teams with a similar experience from a planning perspective, from a uh, management perspective, right? Could we drive that kind of interface? So I think that's where everybody in the space is really looking at what's happening there and, and the changes that Salesforce is making as well to really understand. I think it's a, it's a transformative model. It's sort of the iPhone, you know, kind of moment for yeah, us mobile, with, with generative exactly. AI. And so everything is likely to change. And all the models that we used to, you know, our dashboards even real anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are yeah. The, those, are the, yeah. those are the kind of fundamental questions we're going to be asking ourselves. And I think, I think from a transactional perspective, Salesforce is, is, is taking the lead and, and driving that. And for us, you know, could we do the same from a planning perspective? Could we do the same from a administration or an ops perspective? Like, how does this change our landscape is really the, the problem space that we're, we're working on. So that, that part is exciting. That's, it's a whole new world. Thanks. I mean, extremely exciting. And it's funny, I, I was thinking, oh, I should have an AI question for you because I know that's hot, but it's glad that I'm glad that you actually let us there already because everyone's always asking, especially around the generative AI. Like, right. And I, I do look at this as, you're right, transformational in the, in the entire SaaS market, just like mobile was, right? right? Like, how do we think, everyone was like, how do you think mobile first? Now it's like, well, how do we think, you know, AI, AI first, first and, and, yep. and, and how do we adapt our, our world to that? And what does that mean for our platform? And, and it's not just, 
just a feature that people release. It's it's actually something that is just part of the 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 actual makeup. It's it's much more fundamental, right? And it's going to yeah. change the user interaction with with software as we know it, enterprise software as we know it. And I think as Salesforce is smartly catching on to that and saying, okay, we've got to you know have a model for the transactional pipeline and how we handle that. So I think it's, it, that's that's very exciting. I think it's going to change the ecosystem pretty considerably. All of the apps in the in the broader ecosystem is going to have to think about that. Going to have to think about how to interact with Salesforce in that way, Einstein in that way, and and uh, feed into that. So I think it's a it's a whole sort of uplift yeah. for everybody in the in the ecosystem. Let's get into our final segment, the future forecast. So where are we headed? Where the forecast predicts the future. So Bala, what do you envision as the future of the Salesforce ecosystem? So I, I've always kind of looked at the acquisition of Slack, you know, with 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 the idea that when when Salesforce made that announcement, and they also bought MuleSoft as well, which was sort of two different models, but for me, the old enterprise integration model is dead, right? Yeah. And, and and really this conversational model is really what's going to drive a lot of the business processes and workflows and things like that. So I think there is a really powerful way in which, you know, you were talking about data and silos and how they integrate with each other. And yeah. I really think that that layer is how it's going to change, right? And essentially, it's going to be that conversational layer that's going to drive business processes. It's not just for collaboration, but it's actually, can I tell my systems in the background, like, go do this, run this workflow for me, get this results done, you know, move this person from this role to this role. And as a sales manager, can I just do that on Slack? Why can't I do that, right? And yeah. and I think that that is a interesting sort of art Concept. to yeah. to. to mm-hmm look at, especially with generative AI, because that just changes the model into what Slack already does really well, which is bring people together and allow for these kind of business processes to be built on top of it, right? Yeah. 10, 15 years ago, we would build that on top of an AI enterprise integration layer. Well, mm-hmm. I think that's that's gone. I think what we're going to do is really build it on top of this conversational layer, which, which I, I'm excited. I mean, that is the vision of what Salesforce wants to do. So right. that's pretty... I mean, yeah, I, I agree with where that's going. Obviously, there's a long road ahead of of, right. of driving that type of collaboration, you know, and, and business processes at the collaboration layer, layer but we're going to get there. And, and, you know, that's the fun thing as a startup is that that's yeah. where the ideas are spurred and you, you have a platform now to sort of start building great new ideas on top, similar to what, you know, the app exchange did for us, right? And, yeah. and so I, I'm, I'm excited to see where startups yeah. are going to take that on top of the Salesforce ecosystem. Is that is that what, you see Fullcast also integrating a lot more in that regard with absolutely, with Slack. absolutely. Yeah. You know, Slack as well as even even supporting those kinds of conversations. So today, for instance, sales managers would do a bunch of operational tasks, and they would go look at a dashboard. They'll go click through some wizards to 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 get something done. Well, we want that model to change. And if that changes, then you know, your learning curve and all of this kind of enablement problems, a lot of those things get solved right away. Right? Yeah. Because people are very comfortable with the conversational model. And if we can do that, then I think that that changes the game. Yeah. Can you give us a prediction of what Salesforce looks like in the future? 
So I, the, the couple of interesting ideas that the startup world have been throwing around is what is a post CRM world? Like, do mm. we, do we still need a database in the, in the old sense, right? Of customer information and things like that. In that sort of collaborative world, what does a, a CRM even mean anymore? Yeah. And I think that's, that's an interesting arc that, that Salesforce is, is sort of looking at. I don't know how far along they are in that sort of product arc, but I think that I sort of see a world where this old idea of building a database, a contact database and a account database and all of that, I think that's going to slowly go away because most of that information is repeated in every single CRM. There's no reason for it to be. And and so I think there's an interesting angle there from a, from a Salesforce perspective in terms of what does that mean? What does the post-CRM world look like? It doesn't just become this collaborative layer on top Correct. of like data yeah. sources that may exist or may not exist in the future. Yeah. I mean, that's a really, I mean, you know, a hundred thousand foot view, an awesome way to look at it too. Right. So, so what advice do you have for any aspiring entrepreneurs out there? You know, entrepreneurship is not for everybody. We tell that to everybody that we hire in the company. We say it's not a, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. And that is, you know, because you live and breathe this thing 24 hours a day. Yeah. And and as entrepreneurs, it's very exciting. The Salesforce ecosystem is a very exciting place to be, but it's a, it's a, it's definitely a lifestyle as opposed to a job. You can't approach this like a job. Well, I mean, that's definitely, I mean, going from Salesforce to, you know, where I'm at now, it's, that's 150% true. So that's, and I, and I enjoy every single moment of it because it is one of those things you live and breathe, but it's, and, and it keeps you alive. You know, if you feel it's really fun. alive. So, and, and you feel a sense of ownership of the problem and you also see the impact of the things that you do, the decision that you make right away, right? You're not yeah. waiting a year and a half, two years to see how things turn out. The things are, it, it's sort of a, an interesting high, but, <laughs> but you live it. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely love it. Now, before letting you go, let's have fun with a little quick lightning round. You ready? Cue the lightning. You mean lightning? Lightning. Lightning fast. <laughs> Secret skill that's not on the resume. I am a wildlife photographer, so I, I travel to places to take pictures of, of endangered species, and that's something that uh, I enjoy a lot. That's incredible. Do you, how, how long do you sit in blinds for? You know, I mean, oh, like in, days, days. Like I did a trip to uh, the Canadian Arctic to go take pictures of narwhals, you know, the yeah. unicorn whales. And we were there for four days or camped out on, on sea ice, and we yeah. saw them once. Wow. <laughs> That is, that's an awesome story. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Best way to spend an evening after work? Take, take my camera out and go take pictures. And, and that's, that's sort of my, my sort of piece yeah. is, is be able to capture wildlife. You know, it, it's, it, nothing about that is under your control. The birds are not posing for you or whatever. So it's <laughs> yeah. just, you just surrender and just deal with it. <laughs> I love it. Favorite brand of anything? Of anything, I'm a sports nut. I'm, I grew up in Toronto, so the Toronto Maple Leafs is my my team and my jam. And so, you know, I, I dressed up my daughter the second day she was born in, in Leafs uniform. So oh, that's great. <laughs> that's I, love great. It. I love it. I love it. Love it. I mean, well, the Maple Leaf is definitely very Canadian, you know, it so is. it's good. It you just won front row seat tickets to your dream event. What is it? 
It's the Toronto Maple Leafs in a Stanley Cup final game. <laughs> there you go. Love it. <laughs> so, Ball, yeah, let's see. Let's see what happens. Ball, this has been so much fun. Um, before I let you go, I'd let the listeners know where they can find you. And if there's anything else you'd like to share or plug with us today, please, please do that. Fullcast.io is is where I am right now. And Vala at Fullcast.io is if you want to reach me. And, uh, you know, check us out. And if you have a revenue operations problem, then we probably can help you. So check us out and, and and do reach out if you have any questions. Well, Bala, thank you so much for today and great conversation. Loved having it. Great to see you. Appreciate it, Dad. Thank you so much. Inside the Ohana is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, the conversational sales and marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate and review it and tell a friend. Thank you for listening.